Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I am Julian Guderlei, and at Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, you get to hear stories and insights from entrepreneurs, social change makers, and artists. And today with me is Jack Sieberin. Welcome to the show, Jack. Thank you, brother. It's good to be here. Nice. Jack, why don't you um, share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. Um, so I've been studying... Um, new technologies focused on virtual reality, augmented reality forefront at the same time, and about how all of them are kind of um, threatening to reshape the social structures uh, that we have come to to um, depend upon, uh, whether that's blockchain as the new security, cryptocurrency as the new currency, uh, AR, VR as new entertainment and computing, AI as the new electricity, and data as the new oil, it's all this sort of kind of reshaping of the structures, kind of building upon the mechanical age and allowing us to um, to really live in a completely different way. Um, so that's been my focus. And uh, right now I'm working on how to create digital medicine with virtual and augmented reality um, to help people to better understand themselves and their consciousness. Wow. So would you um, say you're a futurist? Sure, yeah. Well, I'm obsessed with the future. That's the title that comes with that, then yes. Nice. You know, all these, like I said, all these technologies are really threatening the social structures. Um, not in, a, not in a, a way that's sort of intimidating or should be intimidating. I think with enough foresight, we can start to understand these technologies and use them to shape the future in the way that we uh, find the most benefit. Uh, but it takes that foresight. It takes an understanding of all the technologies that shape that cultural landscape in order to do so. I also think that this time is unique because we have, the, uh, we have more of an ability now to shape the future than we've ever had in the past. Um, I know you've talked before to probably your listeners saying uh, we're entering into the fourth technological revolution and I, I echo that I think that the, the work that we're doing now is going to have an impact on you know, future generations for millennia uh, and it's all leading to uh, amazing new potentials for human, human abilities Wow. So you're saying the future because now we're actually in a way also able to have foresight. Um, so let me let me ask a question there. With foresight as part of our consciousness, with part of what we, we can imagine, what is it that you're working towards? Because um, you, you mentioned a lot of like systems maybe breaking apart or being threatened. So what's the disruption that you're seeing and what is it that you're working towards? Sure. Well, I think the the saying that I've heard repeated again and again in these new tech fields is, you know, AI is the new electricity and data is the new oil. And if you just look at how electricity has shaped uh, the past hundred years, it's allowed for people to um, to have more control over their day than the sun permits, than nature permits. It allows us to shape our uh, experience in a way that we couldn't have before. We couldn't have by candlelight. Um, 
with AI, you know, if if everything was electrified, everything that had been electrified will now be cognified. So it becomes alive. It becomes interactive. It becomes a, a, a sort of representation of you living in electricity. And you know, these kinds of things, I think, are really powerful and, and important to, to track. Yeah, I think that's something that, um, to be fairly honest, uh, is is completely um, new territory for myself as well, is to realize how, as you said, it becomes cognified, right? So, like, there will be, like, maybe not a full sentient uh, being behind every digital uh, or electronic representation, but basically with something being electric, it becomes alive? Yeah, if anything can run through electricity, it can interact with digital technology so you know if you have your phone on you that's connected to your blockchain account which has all of your you know favorite things about light what kind of light you react to best or what your mood is you know everything can be shaped to personalize to your experience based on um, all of that data powerful so you're you're saying that's something you're working towards um and i know you're you're um you're deeply into the world of virtual reality and augmented reality. So is that something we will experience in somewhat a, a virtual entertainment scenario, or do you think it's, it's actually going to um, influence our daily uh, lives and the rooms we move through? Yeah, I think the lines between those two will start to blur a little bit. Um, I think there's a lot of promise in augmented reality uh, in its ability to project um, the computing layer onto the physical world and we'll start to blend the digital and the physical a little bit um, and I think it's also important to think about the difference between virtual and augmented reality not as opposites but as part of a spectrum so virtual reality is you put your entire sensory experience into a virtual environment and augmented reality at the opposite end of the spectrum is things from the virtual environment inhabit your physical experience. Uh, but there's a middle in between where you can have like more digital elements in your in your physical environment that allow for kind of a mixed reality experience. I also think that what we're seeing now is sort of we're moving into a stage of sort of meta-consciousness where we are aware of our awareness in a way that we haven't been before and we can have conversations that um center around topics that we're not necessarily attached to and like we can we have discussions about ideas that like everybody can come from every side even though they don't really have that opinion so it's like this kind of meta level and then uh virtual reality is coming around at the same time so it's like yeah we're we're going into meta consciousness where we're creating realities inside of our reality uh, and we're also just in our general consciousness can create you know, virtual ideas that come out of, you know, and we're not really connected to them. It's really mm -hmm. interesting. So I heard you uh, mention the term digital medicine. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, because I feel like it's not something usual in 2017 for people to put the word medicine and digital into the same sentence. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a lot of digital stuff has been centered around games. I think even virtual reality right now is trying to make... Um, an extension of games or an extension of film. Um, but I don't think that's where the real power of VR is. Um, 
it's interesting to look at VR right now because uh, I see it as completely distinct from the other mediums that have come before it in that it is, whereas other mediums are, um, I like to call them exterior imposed, so they try to impose a message on you. Um, I think a lot of things in our culture are exterior imposing. Uh, virtual reality and augmented reality can be um, self-centric, so that means that the experience itself can be shaped by the individual's uh, experience of the experience. Um, and that allows for this sort of personal relationship that you have with the medium um, that you don't have with other media. And where I'm taking that is into um, neurofeedback simulations so that your cognitive performance in the simulation shapes the simulation itself and allows for you to become aware of how your uh, brain is functioning. Um, and I see that as sort of therapy for yourself because as you gain more awareness of your own cognitive functions, uh, whether that's your ability to calm yourself or your ability to focus intensely or your ability to drop down into a sort of creative daydreaming state, all these things can be tracked and shown to you and then you can learn to better understand yourself and your, uh, your own abilities. It's a crazy world for me, and I, I I love what I'm hearing because there is there is this um, well in my limited vocabulary there there is this understanding of the I existence and the we'll call it the ego the personality the realm where we interact with each other there is this um, clarity of 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 receiving something almost I feel um, being being like an, an empty channel and letting the heart lead and then what I what I um, feel and you, you shared that is this this awareness of being aware this awareness that we're also a group we're also one we're also part of a larger field so when you say we're able to track that and we're able to basically play it back to you so you you can become more aware and kind of start designing your own um space of consciousness how how are we able to track that and how are we able to play back what's happening in our minds through virtual reality i'd, I'd be interested to understand more Yeah, so this, is a, this has been my kind of uh, obsession for the last couple of years. I, I think that this is one of the most interesting um, times because uh, there's the price point of EEG headsets, which measure your brainwave activity, are coming down to a really affordable rate, like $200 uh, for high-quality EEG readings. And... For the longest time, they've been in research laboratories where they've been able to gather a lot of good data about how to read uh, mental activities in EEG data, which is just raw um, brainwave frequencies. Um, and so using that information, we can plug those brainwave frequencies into the virtual reality environment so that the virtual environment is affected by those inputs. So for example, if you are um, really manic and your brain is really like active in a, a bad way, that's measured in the gamma frequency. Um, and as you come down in our simulation, as you come down towards alpha, which is the area of calmness, um, the wind will calm down with you. 
and you see that in the environment, in the things that are blowing in the wind. You hear it in the sound of the wind and the sound of the trees and everything. And you feel it with a haptic suit, uh, which does vibrational representation of the wind. And so it's this sort of relationship that you get with the virtual environment that allows you to gain an understanding of how your brain is acting. I like to say it's sort of like unlocking the black box of your brain by creating a loop that runs from your brain to the environment, to your senses, to the brain, to the environment, to the senses. And it becomes this sort of engine, this relationship that you build with the, the environment that allows you to gain control over that. Um, so the sections of, uh, of brainwave frequencies are um, gamma at the highest, which is like intense, you know, PTSD is in gamma. Um, uh, beta is your focus. So that's between um, 30 and 13 hertz. Yeah, beta is normally where our conversations are happening, right? Yeah, so that's our, our daily life pretty much. Uh, alpha is below that, and that's calmness, the area of calmness. Um, and your brain is constantly emanating these waves and shifting which wavelengths it's emanating based on its um, its mental state or your mental state. Uh, so, so athletes like to hang at 10 hertz, which is what they would consider a flow state um, because it's on the precipice of beta and just deep enough into alpha where they feel the effects of that calmness. So it's like this loose focus. Um, and then below that is theta, which is harder to get to, but it's uh, at the realm of uh, transcendental meditation. Um, uh, daydreaming also gets you down there, but like the really, really deep stuff is transcendental meditation. So we're taking all of these frequencies as inputs for the, the VR simulation, and they're rendered as outputs in the virtual environment. So the input is you are at 10 hertz, the output in the environment is the, the wind completely stops. And that's when you know that you are at 10 hertz. That's the goal of the, the experience. And it becomes this sort of, again, this relationship that you have. I love when I hear these, these, these projects that people really um, create out of passion. There is something completely different that happens in my brain when someone shares from a passionate point of view to explore something with curiosity rather than as a, a totally just business-focused endeavor. Sorry, like, wh where, where is this project it's at? It's just me and a couple passionate friends. Um, we're all interested in this area. Uh, we see that there's a, an immense potential coming from this uh, endeavor, and so we're just putting our, our time and effort into it. And then eventually, as we we're getting to an MVP, a minimum viable product, by December... Uh, and we're looking on track for that. Hmm. And then after we get to that, we're looking to build it out into a, a larger app where um, we can target specific mental activities for specific environments. So, you know, as we grow, we could have an environment that's a, a river flowing and by focusing, stop the flow of the river. And that's one specific experience. Our first one is focused on calmness, which is stopping the wind by calming yourself down um, and so these environments 
can lend to specific mental activity. And that's something that we're looking to do towards next year. Super powerful, Jack. Um, I, I can only imagine how this is going to help us uh, grow focus and awareness of it, this feedback loop that you're describing, right? From the mind to the environment, back to your uh, perception and your, your sensory field. Um, I've personally played quite a bit with uh, binaural beats and frequencies. Um, find it very interesting. Uh, I listen to them before I go to bed often when I'm still like really in my mind and I, I want to like slowly come down. I I start with lower alphas and go into to delta or theta to like, like relax and go into dreamland. Um, there's a lot of studies on, on I believe, um, children and, and, and infants and the way that we as humans progress through those frequency stages. So if I'm not mistaken, I believe small children, toddlers are... Um, They're hanging out in a frequency that we only access in the dream world or through psychedelics. Um, and they're hanging out there constantly. So if a child is four years old and eating a sand cake, the, the reality for the child is, is very tactile. It's, 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 yeah. it's like a big, colorful dream. Um, and they're just learning to gain access to beta frequencies where we're having these conversations. That's why they're learning languages. And it takes them at least four to five years to start speaking somewhat properly and i think at around age six or seven it's when we we flip into like a lot more alpha uh, a, a more regularly beta and i believe it's teenagehood when we are fully immersing into beta frequency where you and i are hanging out right now wow yeah i hadn't uh, read that that's extremely interesting yeah I'll, i'll make sure i'll follow up with some information on that maybe I'll, i'll put it in the show notes as well because what i'm hearing you you express is um and we started from the term digital medicine there's a lot of healing possibility through modalities like that um and and then also i mean if we if we look at our own childhoods and then the way we program ourselves the way our environment programs us the way yeah also people deliberately program us uh, if it's governments or, or certain agencies um i think we we now are increasingly becoming aware of our responsibilities to empty that toolkit that we've been programmed with and then reprogram it with with new things i would almost say it's a prerequisite for this new earth that we're building where where we can talk about digital and medicine in the same sentence yeah yeah and again this new cultural landscape that's built on technology Uh, allows for amazing new potentials. And on top of that, the first medium that's centered on the individual allows for them to grow within these environments in ways that film or other mediums that have come before really can't tap into. And I think you know, self-centricity is crucial to medicine because if it comes from within the individual, they learn how to heal themselves. They literally become the medicine. Wow, that's very powerful, especially after I just had um, an interview with Naveen Jain who talks about sickness becoming optional. What you're sharing right now, us becoming our own medicine uh, in a place of awareness might have a lot to do with that. Right, right. And our ability, too, to understand on a deeper level how our brainwaves are affecting the environment that we're in will help us to foster better environments in our real life too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the area that I think is most interesting. It's not just that these virtual environments are fun to play in. It's they give you a new level of consciousness through which you can look at the world and shape the world in front of you. Whether it's, you know, I see somebody that's in a gamma state and I want to be in an alpha state so that I can calm them down 
you know, that's just the beginning of this sort of mental relationship that we've grown. Wow. Mind blowing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I have you on the show and we're talking about these things. Um, Jack, what I'd love to understand is how did you get to this place and how did it start fascinating you? Like maybe tell our listeners a little bit about how you grew up um, and what, what inspires you and, and maybe also what possibly frustrated you on the journey to then actually choose to be inspired. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, in, in high school, uh, I was uh, consumed by video games. Um, and I spent a lot of my time playing them. Uh, I had a, a sort of first-level awakening in uh, college where I realized uh, that I was in control of my own uh, destiny and that video games... Uh, For me, and this might even be a defense mechanism against them, but you know, it, I, I, my realization was that the achievements in video games end at the pixel level. You know, they don't go outside of the screen that much, and so you spend your time in these virtual environments, but you're not really doing anything. Um, so I had to stop and sort of reframe my values, um, and that you know, my first year of college, I was studying architecture. I had gone through. Um, school specific, my high school years specifically focused on architecture, um, you know, designing buildings and houses and you know, drawing light bulbs and AutoCAD. It was fun for me for some reason. And uh, then I started writing. I started writing with a friend of mine. We started making these like animated, um, horrible, horrible animated pieces that, you know, we just wanted to get it out of ourselves. And uh, that was the first time that I had a lot of fun doing something that I could uh, make a career out of that I that made me also not want to play video games anymore. Like, I just wanted to do that full time. So I switched my major and started studying um, uh, media theory, media criticism, um, the psychology of media, um, philosophy, all these things that started, started to build myself a new foundation of beliefs. And then going through to uh, finish my college career, I, I went and studied film, filmmaking uh, with a specific focus on directing. And really, I loved shaping the experience. Of my architecture background kind of spilled into my film experience by I was always creating structure. Like I was thinking always in the way that um, setting up the space or the way that shots would create um, different ideas in the mind of the individual. So I'd think a lot about space, which, um, you know, came from my architecture experience. And then in my last year of college, I started getting into virtual reality. I had an experience where um, my friend, it was a rainy day in Boston where I was going to school. And my friend brought me into his uh, dorm room and he whipped out a piece of cardboard and put his phone in it and he said you just need to watch this and so I, I put on the headset and uh, put in the earphones and I was in this uh, in this virtual environment it was a lake and uh, there was a train that was on the horizon and you see the puffs of smoke coming at you or coming uh, from the train and the train turns onto the lake And you're looking at it, you know, and it's barreling towards you. And you're like, oh, shit, this train's going to hit me. 
And it, when it hits me, I jumped backwards. Like it, I actually, you know, reacted to it. And in that moment, um, it called back to me, who's a big film nerd at this point, to a story of the Lumiere brothers. First, one of their first films was a train pulling into a, a station. And they showed it at this carnival. And when the train was coming towards the screen, uh, everybody jumped out of their seats because they had no idea. They'd never seen a moving image before. So I had this sort of connection where I realized that the potential of this medium is just as impactful as the potential of the beginning of film. Um, and that's when I realized, you know, I wanted to get into this. And uh, since then, it's been sort of almost frictionless experience where uh, my experience of architecture as a spatial medium and my experience of film as a temporal medium combine and virtual reality comes out of that. I mean, it's a, it's, it's creating it's space and time, right? Um, and then I've always loved technology and so it's finally all coming, you know, I, I, I see it as like all the streams that I've gone down in my life all coming into an ocean. And uh, I really love exploring there. Wow, all the streams of my life are coming into an ocean. That's a beautiful metaphor. Um, there's a lot of clarity uh, from the, the place you're speaking from, and I very much enjoy that. Um, and that's something I've realized in, in my own life as well, is when the vastness of dreams, the vastness of possibilities, that, that is very real, everything is truly possible. Um, when we... Uh, extract from it when I extracted from it what I actually want to do the mission I'm personally on things just start meeting uh, non-stop and, and effortless yeah yeah and you realize that uh, and I love the saying that the universe is conspiring to help you, you know? mm. it's uh, from the alchemist that if you are following your personal legend uh, the universe conspires to help you I think that's really powerful. I, I feel like if you're able to pick up on the signs that are coming into your life that allow you to align yourself with the, your destiny, your purpose here, um, it's frictionless. It's really easy. And uh, it becomes a fun relationship that you have with these uh, signs and signals that you're picking up uh, that the universe is trying to tell you. Powerful. I, um, I know that you're a, a fan of transformational festivals. And um, maybe you want to share a little bit more about your journey of the last months um, and the way that signs um, are speaking to you. So I just went to uh, Burning Man for the first time. And my goal there was to, at first, was to connect uh, my mind to my heart. I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to be more in my body. I've, I've always been a very analytical thinker, um, sort of at the detriment of my entire being. You know, I just separated the mind from the body, um, thanks to Western philosophy. And now I'm sort of in this space where I've been exploring um, what I like to say is like living from the heart, where you just meet people compassionately. Um, you don't focus on your opinions or your differences um, it's more about ways that you can connect to people and I've had amazing experiences that have come from that um, some of the symbols that have been really interesting that 
um, kind of signified that journey for me was uh, some of the garb that I'm wearing for my travels so far. Um, so this was the first thing that I got, uh, which is, you know, somebody just gave this to me and he said, um, uh, you know, randomly, he was like, have you been gifted anything yet? I was like, I don't even know what that means. And so he pulls out a key and he's like, let me know what it unlocks for you. I hadn't told him like what my journey was or anything, but he gave me this key and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. You know, like how would he know? Or, but he didn't, he just, that's what came into my life, you know? And so my goal then was to literally unlock my heart chakra, right? My the fourth chakra. And uh, so I was following, you know, I was at Burning Man. I was like, whatever, if I'm going crazy, I don't care. I'm just going to follow these symbols in my life. You know, I have a week plus of just doing whatever I want. So any symbol that comes into my life, I'm just going to follow that. And, uh, you know, it, it turned into this sort of journey listening to my body and its relationship with earth, uh, its relationship with other people. Um, and that manifested in me just helping as many people as I could. I had a sort of practice where every time somebody would come into my life, would ask me a question or would have a problem. I would make sure to see that all the way to the solution. Um, just as a way of saying I'm here, I'm showing up, I'm willing to listen and I want to help, you know, other people too. Um, and the sort of pinnacle moment was uh, at Camp Mystic, which is where I stayed. Uh, on Wednesday, we have this really in amazing party where everybody gathers into our uh, theater that's like three stories and, you know, everybody's like just having a great time. And I was dancing. My typical way of dancing is I'm just in my head, you know, I'm not really dancing. I'm just like thinking, you know, and uh, I had this moment where I was dancing and there was this girl that, you know, I thought was the most beautiful girl I've ever seen at that moment. And, uh, and you know, I was like just staring, or not staring because that's creepy, but I was like dancing next to her. And I was thinking of all the reasons that I, that I shouldn't be able to dance with her or whatever. And then all of a sudden I, I had this intense experience where I just dropped from my mind into my entire body and I just felt the moment you know I didn't think I didn't for the first time ever I just wasn't thinking and I was like you know what we've been dancing next to each other for 10 minutes now I should just go over there and stop being an idiot and then we started dancing together it was the most you know we really like synced up I was able to just like be there you know not think about what's the next step I've got to do you know what's the next move um and it was just this beautiful moment. We ended up, you know, we shared a kiss at the end of the dance and it was like fireworks. Like I did it, you know, I finally made it through. And, um, and now, you know, the rest of my journey has been practicing, uh, that, you know, being in the moment, connecting compassionately to somebody and really trying to, uh, be there for them, listen to them, hear them, and help them. Yeah. Wow, so of... following the signs through a transformational journey is somewhat like listening to the heart of hearts and following mm -hmm. the journey of the heart. Yeah, in the Upanishads they say Purusha who lives inside, of, inside the heart is the self, right? That's the real self. Mm -hmm. 
And then in ancient Egypt, they, they used to save the heart and scramble up the brain, you know, in the pharaohs. Like, they, they realize, like, the heart is the place. It's not, you know, we're brain people these days, but this is where the, the action is. That we have developed a brain uh, capacity that is beautiful, brilliant, and, and worrisome at the same time, right? Uh, I believe in, we, we talked about this, the fourth uh, techn technological revolution or the fourth industrial revolution um, that we're in right now with automation, machine learning, blockchain, biotechnology emerging into our reality. Um, and I think it's unstoppable. And listening to you, I... Um, I have a lot of hopes because talking about digital medicine and the way we can create feedback loops that help us awaken deeper, that's very beautiful. And at the same time, I believe the journey of the heart, the igniting and awakening of the heart and understanding what compassionate value-based living really means is our biggest responsibility. And I really, from all the people I'm interviewing and seeing in the world, um, including myself, I don't think any of us has it figured out. I think it's us creating this with each other right this moment. Yeah, it's this sort of beautiful journey, you know, we're traveling down this dark tunnel and we have no idea what's at the end of the tunnel, you know, we're all trying to make sure that it's not a wall, you know. Uh, I think it's it's one of the most exciting times to be alive because these are the moments that history looks at, you know, the moments that are extremely turbulent, you know, the earth is literally shaking apart <laughs> and we're, you know, trying to hold things together or at least create a new structure that will help us to hold things together better. Um, and it's such an amazing time. I, I agree. I think that, you know, connecting to people through the heart, um, it, it breaks down the barriers that the mind sets up, right? Like the mind is, seems to be the place where we categorize, we separate, we fracture. And then the heart seems to be the place that we connect, we uh, share emotionally, and we really feel each other regardless of our situation you know there's so much humanity that connects us together and there's so little that connects us ideology that you know, separates us from each other very interesting to to venture down um that rabbit hole of a conversation because the the frack the fragmentation that the mind really does i mean i feel like a lot of the um systems in place and ways that are currently supporting our existence um, they come from a place of the past, a place that um, in this new way of living where the heart is ignited, um, the awareness, the awakeness, the consciousness is being cultivated. I feel like it's becoming more and more apparent how ancient some of these systems are and how nation states, how governments, how um, uh, power, how corruption are nothing but symptoms of a fragmented way of thinking. And it, it's almost like clear to i think not just thousands but now millions of people that we can do much much better um yeah, yeah how let me ask a very specific question if you had 13.7 billion dollars tomorrow 13.7 for a fact um what would you do with it how would you impact the world i would make sure that the augmented and virtual reality stuff that's coming out is helpful uh, rather than harmful that it connects us further to each other rather than isolates us from each other. I think that, you know, the things that Elon is doing are really powerful and probably help him in a way. Um, and also, I would work to build communities that are representative of the new landscape. I think that there's a big desire, a big calling now for um, these smaller communities to start to um, be a sort of ground for improvement.
a sort of representation of the macrocosm in the microcosm. I mean, with that kind of money, anything is possible. And you and I met in a uh, eco-village during a mastermind retreat um, in the Montreal area. So tell me more about these kind of villages or cultures or communities that you're seeing. Sure, yeah. I've been, I've been really interested in, um, you know, like Burning Man is an example of uh, an ephemeral city that pops up for a week and then goes away. Um, I don't think these cities have to be week long. I think that they can be much longer than that. Um, I think Findhorn or Oroville uh, in India or Damanhur in Italy are good examples of cities that run uh, more or less independent from the larger structure that are um, representations of new ways of living. Um, these intentional communities allow for um, intense collaboration, a real sense of community, which I don't think we have much of these days, and um, overall lead to you know happiness on a level that we don't really see that much. Um, and and so when I'm thinking about new tech, new uh, communities, I'm also thinking about the new technology that can support them as a backbone. One of the interesting things that I that I'm really focused on right now in terms of that is um, using uh, cryptocurrency as the currency for the communities because what that does is it separates the community from the economic structure so you can make a valuable city inside of an economy that is failing. Like, for example, um, in Italy, where they're struggling economically, if you bring your the value of your coin to that community, they can, people, you know, refugees or anybody that shows up to the community that gets accepted into the community will be able to set up a new life, even though they might not with the current economic structures. You know, it's very hard for refugees to get bank accounts, for example. But if you can provide them a space where they can set themselves up for success, whatever form that may be and whatever form the, the community helps them to foster, um, you give them a new life faster than they were able to get it before. And, you know, there, for example, in terms of refugees, you know, there are millions and millions and millions of children who are just lost. You know, they're, they're going to dive into whatever um, circumstance or, or opportunity they see. But if we can help to foster these kids and bring them back to their fullest potential, um, we can really save a lot of lives here. Um, you know, looking towards the future. Hmm. Powerful. So you, you see these um, possibly these new villages, these new ways of living, also as um, places for well international living, or like that, that kind of accommodate for the, the new migration that we're experiencing on on planet Earth. Uh, yeah, I think that's one of the things that it would definitely help to uh, to solve. Um, you know as much as we don't want to uh, help these people, you know, we're just not admitting them into our countries. Um, these people are in dire need of help. It's a crisis. And uh, I think that by creating these communities, we really can start to, to solve that issue. And by giving them a sense of community, we allow them to really heal themselves and realize their potential. I think that the, the real power of community that I've found is that 
if you're having a bad day or you've gone through some bad stuff like these people have, uh, there are people who care that come into your life because you sit with them at the dinner table and they ask you, you know, what's wrong? You don't want to say it in front of everybody. They'll take you to the side. You know, it, they care for you. It becomes this sort of um, communal emotional environment that allows for healing, that allows for people to go through that process and something that we direly need today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Powerful. Let's, let's switch it up. I have a couple more questions for you, uh, Jack. And yeah. um, I'd love to understand, like, maybe share with our audience what are the last two books you're, you're reading? Like, what are you reading right now? Yeah, the things I've been reading lately are a little um, go along with my spiritual journey that I've been going on. Uh, the two books that I read last were um, kind of in parallel almost, The Surrender Experiment uh, and The Alchemist. The Surrender Experiment is about a guy who realized um, that he was not the voice in his head. His, his realization was that if he could observe the voice in his head, then he must not be that thing. The object cannot observe the object, so he must be something else. And so he dedicated his life to following the thing that he realized was deeper than the voice in his head. And he realized that that was the opportunities that were coming into his life And he aligned that with what he called the universal flow. And to make a long story short, he sets up a, a meditation center. He starts a practice where he builds homes in the style of the center that he that he founded. He finds he stumbles on a computer and he realizes that he you know is really interested in the computer. And he starts a pro, he starts to program. He starts a programming company, and he starts. He ends up selling his programming company a couple of years later for a couple billion dollars. But it all came out of his acceptance that he was a vessel of the universal flow and he was not the, the being, the ego, the identity. And the things that flowed through him, be it money or opportunity or um, passion, were charged with this energy that it's not charged with if you're trying to construct the world from your mind. So that was a great lesson for me, who had been trying to construct the world from his mind for a long time. And then The Alchemist is really the same story. It's about a shepherd who is met by a king who basically tells him that his journey is not to be a shepherd, but to follow the personal legend, you know, sends him on this this epic voyage through the deserts of he ends up learning the language of nature, the way that nature tries to communicate, and that's the universal flow. There's a really good quote that I find pretty interesting that I'll read. Uh, Intuition is really a sudden immersion of the soul into the universal current of life, where the histories of all people are connected and we know, we are able to know everything, because it's all written there. You know, I think I think that that's a really powerful statement. It's that, you know, our intuition, which is an undervalued trait, I think, today, but is becoming more valued, in my opinion, is the ability to give up your control over your universe and allowing the universe itself to to move you. you know? Very inspiring uh, books you, you just took on your journey and very much resonating with what you said earlier like the universe truly is conspiring in our favor it's more us 
getting out of the way from a personality perspective, right? And um, I'm experiencing that over and over and over again. Anytime my personality wants to take over, um, very little actually moves. And every time I um, let the personality maybe be the messenger, but I, I actually make space for the universe to uh, speak through my heart, um, these amazing doors in my life open. So I'm, I'm glad this is being shared. And I'm, thank you for, for sharing this with our audience today. Yeah. Jack, one of the questions that moves me and one of the questions that made me want to host and produce this podcast is this one. If you had a 200-year vision for planet Earth, or if we as humanity had a 200-year vision, what would yours look like? So Mark, Marshall McLuhan is a media theorist who really influenced me when I was studying, starting to study media. And he was talking about the difference between the mechanical age, which is what we're coming out of, and the electric age, which is what we're going into. Mechanical age is, like we were talking about, the brain time when we we're creating fragmentation, um, orienting things, we we're building things, um, but we weren't really considering connectivity, interconnection, all those things. That's part of the electric age. I think where he, he states that the mechanical age was an age of explosion, the, the electric age is the age of implosion. And I think going further into the electric age, we are literally compressing space and time to the point where um, you know traveling across the world is going to take under an hour you know um, and that's in the next five to ten years so 200 years from now you could imagine that we would all be in this uh, compacted space-time state where we literally can share our mental states with each other we you know Are, I, I could imagine that we are literally these beings of light that uh, don't need space and time to, to even exist. You know, we're getting into some really experimental territory in terms of our future here, where um, it really is only a limitation of our imagination and our ability of our intuition and our intention to be manifested. That, yeah, it's this compression of space-time Uh, towards a singular point, you know. Uh, Ray Kurzweil calls it the singularity. Terence McKenna calls it the end of history. The Big Bang that exploded into this thing and then compacts into one singular point. I think that's I think that's in on the horizon line. Wow, that would change existence as we know it in the bodily form. Thanks for taking us on that journey. I am um, my mind is blown. Let, let me let me find the way back into my body right now and, and realize that we're still here in 2017. Jack, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Anything you want to um, give people on to their journeys as they're listening to this today? Yeah, I'm doing this interesting experiment where I'm taking shots throughout my entire day and editing them together and putting them online. So if you want to follow me. On my journey uh, through this exploration, I think that's probably the best way to do it. You know, we can all share in this wild experience, um, and I'd love to hear other perspectives on you know the things that I'm experimenting on or the things that they're experimenting with. And uh, yeah, to really continue the conversation that way.